So excited about everything going on in Oasis Women's Ministry. Very exciting stuff uh, going on there. And along with uh, a lot of other ministries in the church, if you're not plugged in, if you don't know how to get plugged in, come see me or one of our leaders here at the church, and we will make sure to get you plugged in so that you can be all God has called you to be and experience Him to the max. Uh, let's, uh, let's get into the sermon today. The Lord has really uh, got me excited this week. I've, I mean, I've been spending time in the Word, and, and I have been getting excited about seeing how the Old Testament uh, absolutely confirms everything that Jesus Christ said. You can't make this stuff up. You can't, you can't make it fit in there. I'm going to read the story to you today, and you'll know exactly what I'm going to preach before I preach it, okay? Uh, if you've been here any length of time at all, and you've seen how uh, we use the Old Testament, and how uh, Christ teaches us to understand the Old Testament, and how the apostles teach us to understand the Old Testament. So uh, we're going to start preaching here in just a minute, but before we do, I want to I want to pray for us. I want to ask the Holy Spirit to come and teach us and lead us in all things, and to take the Word of God and not just not just have it proclaimed in a in a in a in a way that is moving, but take it and actually write it on our hearts. You know, I don't think that motivational speeches or moving speeches or I don't think they're worth a hill of beans. I really don't. I want to preach in such a way that you may not like the way I preach, but if you get the word of God and it gets imprinted on your heart, that you can take it, understand it, and put it into application in your life, then we've succeeded. It's the word of God that is above all things. I don't preach, if I preach on my own validity, my own righteousness, my own gifts, my own powers, then I've done nothing but hinder you. But if the word of God comes out of my mouth, well, I could be a donkey and get it done, just like in the Old Testament, right? We don't need anything but the word of God. And so that's what we're going to pray for today. And I pray that you would be listening for the word of God. Be in your Bibles at home. Go back and test everything that I say. Go back and check behind me. Because Paul said the Bereans were more noble than the rest. Why? Because they checked the validity of what he was saying with the scriptures. So let's pray today and then we'll get into this. Lord Jesus, I pray uh, in the name of Jesus Christ that you would move this morning, that you would move in such a way that you would tear down false ideas that we've built because there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the, in the end it leads to destruction. And so today, God, I pray that you would tear away those false ideas, destroy that speculation, uh, just, just, just tear down those towers of philosophy or or worldview that we have built and that we always run to, God. I pray that it's the, it's, the, it's the name of the Lord that the righteous run to and they're safe. God, I pray this morning that the word of God would go forth boldly and passionately, but it, that it would be effective as well, that it would be effective in reaching those that need to be reached and teaching those who need to be taught. God, please come teach us Reprove us, correct us, Lord. Train us in righteousness this morning with your word that's been breathed out by you. Help us not to follow any uh, system built by man, but to derive everything that we understand through the word of God alone. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we're going to be in Numbers chapter 16. Uh, and a little bit at the end of Numbers chapter 15, and we're going to tell, we're going to start a, a new story this morning. And our series right now uh, we've been moving through is called Story Time. And what I've done is I've went through the, well, through some of the Old Testament, and I've told you several stories. We looked at the story of Moses crossing the Red Sea with the people of God. We looked in uh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah building the wall and some uh, people that had come against him, to some conflict that had arisen, some things that he was dealing with. 
with. We saw how Nehemiah based everything on the word of God, and he trusted in the promises. You remember last week, as I had a hiccup in my sermon because I had wrote the wrong reference down, we said at the end of that, Nehemiah, Nehemiah it said in the text that he reminded God of his word. And we said, do we believe in omniscient and omnipotent God? Do we believe he really needs to be reminded of what he said as if he forgot? Do we think that? So how then must we understand what Nehemiah was saying when he reminded God? And, and I want to go back and show you, I, I realized what I had written down uh, before. In Nehemiah chapters, uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through about 11, he says in verse 80, actually, he says, Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. And we said, what does he mean there when he says, remember your word that you commanded your servant Moses? What does he mean there? We don't think that he's saying, hey, Lord, in case you forgot, let me remind you of what you said. No. Instead, what we said was he must be building what God is calling building his next step, building his life, building his understanding on the word of God. So basically, he is praying God's word back to God and building his theology, building his understanding, and building his mission on that word. And we said that we understand that because he directly quoted God's word back to him in this. It was verse 10 that I was missing. Verse 10 says this, They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. And then we turn over in Deuteronomy Chapter 9, verse 29. Let me read this one again so you'll see he quoted his word back to him. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Deuteronomy, which was before, 929 says, For they are your people and your heritage whom you brought out by, the, by your great power and by your outstretched arm. You see, he was basically saying, Lord, I am not doing anything except what you've already said to do. He was taking the word of God and understanding it as authoritative, universal, binding, and empowering. You see, you can go about your life doing all kinds of things that you think's good. But there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to destruction. Could you be wrong? Yes, you could be wrong. You see, atheism builds its understanding of the world on naturalism, meaning that, that, that there's only what we can see, and the only thing that I can know is what I have in my own head, and there's nothing over me that would be the standard that I can appeal to to see if I'm right or wrong. And therefore, outside of a biblical worldview, meaning that you understand the God of the Bible actually really does exist, outside of that, we have nothing to appeal to for truth, for right and wrong, for morality, for logic. We just decide in our own heads. But Nehemiah would say, no, we base what we do, how we live, what we think, what we understand, what we say, we base it on the revealed word of God, which is trustworthy. As we were singing that song and, 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 it, and it said, uh, I can't believe uh, the price you paid for me. Uh, I, I, I can't believe it either. You know, as we look at the Bible, the thing about the Bible is, is that it is trustworthy. How many of you have been hurt by those closest to you? How many of you have been devastated because of liars in the world? How many of you have, are liars or have been in the past? Those of you who didn't raise your hand just did it right now. Okay? We're all liars. You can't tell me you've not told a lie. And what do liars do? They tell lies. 
You see, we're all uh, born with a sinful nature, and we cannot be trusted. The only way that we can be trusted is if we are founded on the Word of God, and if we have God's Word coming out of our mouth. This is why it is so important that the preacher, the church, and any member of it must found everything on the Word of God. Otherwise, we have nothing else, church. Whether it be me or any other pastor of any church, maybe some of you are visiting today. If your pastor at your home church is not preaching the word of God rightly, then you need to go somewhere else. Don't listen to that man. Don't listen to him because he has nothing to appeal to. These are just thoughts. And maybe he's great. Maybe he's smart. But he's not God. Amen? You can trust the word of God. You can trust it. You can bank on it. You can build your life on it. And you can depend on it. Now, when we get into the word of God in this story right here, we're going to see. I I started writing this post and I started uh, dialoguing with myself and with some other people about the the problem of sin in our our area, in our context, in our culture, in our country. And, And I started thinking... Everybody's saying, oh, we're near the end times, and, and I don't disagree with that. I do believe the end is pressing near, but they want to use the, the lawlessness and the sinfulness and the relativity of our day to say we're getting closer to the end because of what we see in our country. But I don't know that I would use that as an evidence because as I search the scriptures, I find that that's been the problem from the very beginning. People have always wanted to do what they want to do. They've always followed their, they always wanted to follow their own heart. They wanted to make the rules. They wanted to be what? God. As a matter of fact, in the Garden of Eden, what was the serpent's lie? He said, did God really say? No. God, the only reason God doesn't want you to eat that is that he knows when you eat that, you'll be like him yourself. So Eve, desiring to be God just like a woman, except for my wife, she doesn't want to be like that. But, but Eve, wanting to be like God, took the fruit and ate it and then led her husband into sin. And he, not wanting to push his agenda on anybody or anything, did not protect his wife. So he did not stand on the word of God, and therefore our whole race fell. Now, Christ did it opposite. When he was tempted in the wilderness, just like the first Adam was, when he was tempted in the wilderness, what did he do? He said, it is written. Man, ain't that good? Because I'm going to tell you right now, you build your life on this, you can answer any objection. We're doing our apologetics class right now, our defenders class. What do we base the whole class on, Portia? Tactics and the truthfulness of the word of God. How do I know that my worldview holds up to scrutiny better than the atheistic worldview? Because I build mine on the word of God. How do I know that I can stand the test of time? Because Brennan's smart. Ask my wife, you'll know that's not true. It's because I build it on the word of God. Now, if I get outside of the word of God, I still have the word of God over me. There are many men in this room that they watch my life. I've asked them to watch my life. And I have given them permission to speak into my life. And as soon as I step out of line, they have permission and they have a call and a responsibility to come to me and say, you don't line up. And I do the same to them. You don't line up. It's not that you don't line up with me and I don't line up with you. No. Do we line up with the word of God? We build our life on it. Now you say, get to the story already. You're starting to holler and you ain't even started. 
Man. All right, so um, Numbers chapter 16. Now, you know, we started this thing a while back. Uh, we're going to stand to read the Word of God out of respect for God's Word. So let's stand, and we're going to read the Word of the Lord. And I'm going to have to start back in uh, 15 just a little bit to give you a, a hair of context, <clears throat> and then we'll read. I want, you to, I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, show me what this story is all about, and we're going to roll through it. All right, so we're looking, we're going to go from verse 27, and we're going to read a good bit, so I hope your legs are all right. If your legs are hurting and you need to sit down, I won't take it as disrespect. Go ahead and sit down, and I'm being serious, especially some of you uh, more mature folk. If one per now we're looking at uh, Numbers 15, starting in verse 27. If one person sins unintentionally, he shall offer a female goat a year old for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who makes a mistake. When he sins unintentionally to make atonement for him, he shall be forgiven. You shall have, now here it is, pay attention. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is native among the people of Israel and for the stranger who sojourns among them. So for Israel and for everybody else, there's one law. One law, okay? It says, but the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among the people. Because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be on him. You walk outside of the word of God, you're cut off from God. You're cut off from reality. There is no hope for you outside of the word of God. He goes on, while the people of Israel, now this is going to be important to the story, so pay attention. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. Now you say, man, don't be picking up sticks around the Lord. The problem wasn't the picking up of sticks. It was, but that was, the, that was the evidence of a greater problem. He had despised the word of the Lord. The commandment of God had come, and he had said, I am not doing it your way. I am doing it my way. You see, there is a way, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to destruction. He had looked God in the face, and he had said, I will not do it your way. I will do it my way. What are you going to do? This is what happened. He died. He died. Moral of the story, God's word is life. Disobedience is, let's keep reading. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on, on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be the tassel for you to look and to remember all the commandments of the Lord, to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. The Bible said it, not me. It said, don't follow your heart, follow the Lord. Don't follow your heart, follow the Lord. Don't follow your eyes, follow the Lord. The whole world says, do whatever feels good to you. Do whatever looks good. If you see it, if you want it, then you go get it. Nobody's telling you. Nobody in the world is telling you, hold on, use self-control, obey the Lord. 
So you shall remember to do all my commandments and be holy to your God. God, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. He said, you can trust me. I am God. I have delivered you. I have proven myself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is me. You can trust me. Who can you trust? God. You can't trust the world. And here's our story. Now listen here. Now Korah, the son of Ishar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. Listen to this. And they rose up before Moses with a number of people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, this is key, you have gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Does that sound familiar? Everyone is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is fine with what they're doing. Oh, man. Oh, that's good. Oh. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will bring him near to him. The one whom he, cho whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this, take censers, Korah and all his company, put fire in them, and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the holy one. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle and to, of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them, and, and that he has brought you near him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you? And would you seek the priesthood also? Are you not happy with anything? Is basically what he's telling him. Therefore, here's another key. There, therefore, it is against the Lord, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you would grumble against him? Who is it against? It was against God. And Moses sent to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and, and they said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you must also make yourself a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, and I have not harmed one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Be present, you and all your company, before the Lord, you and they and Aaron tomorrow. You be here tomorrow, and we'll see what happens. That's what God was saying. That should resonate with every one of you men out there. You think you bad, you'd be here in the morning. Right here, sun up, baby. You'd be right here. Listen to what he says. And let every one of you take his censer and put incense on it. And every one of you bring before the Lord his censer, 250 censers. You also and Aaron, each in his censer. So every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, separate yourselves from them in a moment. And they fell on their face and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all the flesh, shall one man sin and will you be angry with, the, with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the congregation, get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram and the elders of Israel and followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, depart please from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. Now listen to this. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their, all their goods. So they and all they belonged to, all that belonged to them, went down alive into Sheol. And the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all of Israel were around them, fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came down from the Lord and consumed 250 men offering the incense. You may be seated. That's the word of the Lord. Now I'm going to read a little bit more in here in just a little bit because I want to show you what the result is of these words. Now, we just read the Bible and I think the Bible, we could just say, Praise the Lord, listen to him or die, let's go home. Because in the story, we understand that it's the word of God that stands the test of time. And all, all who, who, who contradict or come against or conflict with or, or go to battle with the word of God, God himself, they lose in the end. There is no overcoming. There is no overpowering. There is no standing in the face of God's word. We must align with God's word or there is no hope for us. Now, as we do this and as we read this story, you see, we can uh, do what uh, has been done in the Old Testament for years and years and years. And we can say, okay, now, listen, with God's help, you can do it. Obey and go home. But we've got to find the ultimate meaning behind this, this text. And we've got to understand it doesn't matter how hard you work. Can you observe the, Lord, the, the word of the Lord? Can you observe it perfectly? No, we're all sinners. All have fallen short of the glory of God, right? We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can't uphold. We can't keep. We can't live out the word of God like it should be lived out. You see, we live in a world uh, that is, it mirrors the world that Moses was living in. It absolutely mirrors it. You see, Moses came and he said, this is what the word of the Lord is. And he laid down the law. He said, we see that in Numbers 15, that he absolutely, the word of the Lord is defined as universally and unequivocally authoritative. 
He laid it down that way. And I think all reality testifies of this fact. He says, you shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is a native among the people of Israel, and for the stranger and the sojourners. You see, there is one law that is binding on every person on the face of the earth. And that's the law of God. It is our natural law as well. God has put this in place. Why do you think it is that no one who has ever, people who have never heard the Bible, they still think it's wrong to murder too. They have a working Ten Commandments that is revealed to them in nature. It is revealed to them in their hearts. They have, they live as uh, image bearers of God. So they know. Romans chapter 1 tells us that, that what, is, what needs to be known about God is revealed clearly to us. But we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We want to do what we want to do. So we say, no, I will not do what I know to be righteous, but I will suppress that truth in my unrighteousness. I want to sin. I don't want to do these things. I want to live like I want to live. I want to have sex. I want to spend all my money on me. I want to whatever. I want to live like I want to live. We hate authority. You see, it happened in Moses' day. Listen to what happened. Moses laid down the law. He said, you are not to follow your own hearts. Listen to what he says here in 39 and 15. And it shall be a tassel for you to look and remember all the commandments of the Lord, to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. What is it to whore after something? It is to sell yourself for it. You see, that's what we are doing when we are following our hearts and, and going for the desires of our hearts instead of for what the, what the Lord has shown us to be right. We belong to God, but we sell ourselves out for those measly little pleasures. You see, sin is only good for a season, but in the end, it leads to destruction. Sure, it's going to feel good for a little while, but it's like the, the, the beautiful image bearer of God selling herself on the corner. Turning tricks for a few bucks. Did you see? You were intended for so much more. He says, don't, don't give yourself away for these, little, for these little bits of pleasure when God wants you to have it all. He says, don't follow after your heart. There is, a, there, is an, there is an authority out there. It's the word of God. And the word of God is not resting over you saying, do this, don't do this. It's not that type of authority. But it is the Father, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. You see, he wants the best for you. Jesus Christ prayed in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. Father, I pray that you would be with them and keep them. That they would be one even as we are one. That they would experience all of my glory. And that they would be filled full. He said in John 10, he said, I came so that they might have life and they might have it abundantly to the fullness of it. Are you selling yourself short by following your heart? You say, the word of God is binding on me. It keeps me. No, it doesn't keep you from anything. No man has given anything up for Christ that hadn't, paid, that hadn't been paid a hundredfold in return. It's God who is the treasure. It is God who is the, the, the goal. It is Christ who is the prize. You see, so it sets itself up. Uh, in the New Testament, we read in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It is good for teaching, reproof, uh, correction, and training in righteousness. It is breathed out by God. It is His Word. It's not my Word. Now, can I mix my word in there? 
Sure I can. If I make mistakes and I do that, that's why you test behind me or anybody else proclaiming the Word of God or you reading the Word of God. You see, many people want to exalt their understanding, but the Bible says it's not open to personal interpretation. We need to understand how the Bible defines the Bible and how the Word of God interprets the Word of God, and we need to apply that to our lives. That's why you need to even examine your own understanding of the Scriptures. The Bible is authoritative over us. We don't get to just say, well, this is what it means, this is what it means, this is what it means. No. There's a big word, but you need to learn it. It's a hermeneutic. You say, a herma what? That is just a proper way to understand how to interpret the scriptures. And if you don't know what that word is, if you don't care, then shame on you if you call yourself a Christian. My wife says, you shouldn't expect everybody to be theologians. Well, I know we all got to start somewhere, but you should progressively seek to understand the word of God better and better and better every day. And if you don't have that, if you don't have those tools, then come see me. That's what I live for. I would love to show you how to understand the scriptures. And I try my best to teach you in here, but you've got to get in and outside of here. It's for your own good. So we, we, have, we have to find the scripture, the, the, the understanding of the scriptures, and we have to apply it to our life. We cannot just put our own on it. Hebrews 4.12, you've heard that many times. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces all the way down to see the distinction between the intentions and thoughts of the heart. You see, the word of God is what judges us. They were looking at Moses, and they said this to Moses. They said, you have gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. <laughs> is, this not, is this not our day to a T? This is our day to a T. So the, the, the man of God, the, the woman of God, stands and proclaims that this is the truth, whether it be to her family, whether it be to her friends, whether it be to his congregation, whether it be whatever. This is the truth. We stand on the truth, and everybody says what? You're going too far. What is the, what is the mantra of today? Is that that can be true for you, but don't put your truth on me. I am not, I am not subject to what you believe is true. I've, I know what's true for me. You have what's true for you, and that's fine, but don't you put your truth on me. You've gone too far. They also go right along with Korah and his group, and they said, for all in the congregation are holy, every single one of them. You see, in our day of naturalistic atheism and evolution, you cannot have someone that's unholy. Because it doesn't exist. You see, this is how philosophy and apologetics and real world thought and theology meet. I'm sorry if, if you've never thought in these ways, but you've got to think in these ways. Because if we do away with God and his standard of right and wrong, we then have no way to measure what's right and wrong. We have no way to measure what's true and what's false. That's why naturalism logically and necessarily leads to relativism, which is the thought that you're right and I'm right, we're all right, even if we contradict one another. But we know that's absurd. If you say it's green and I say it's not green, we can't both be right. Doggone it, there's only one truth. And the man that says there is no truth, you need to look at him and say, well, is that true? You see, if we do away with God, if we do away with the standard, if we do away with the word of God, then we have nothing outside of ourselves to appeal to. So evil is lost. You see, the atheist wants to say, uh, the Christian has a problem with evil, the problem of evil. 
if God's so good, then why is there so many bad things? We can discuss that. But my response is, in your worldview, evil doesn't even exist. At least I can acknowledge it and we can talk about it. You have to say the rape of the two-year-old little girl, it's just a bodily function. Who's got the bigger problem? Me or the atheist? If you can't even acknowledge that evil exists, you got the bigger problem. I don't. Because God's truth is truth. So we see here, he says, for all of them in the congregation are holy. And he says one other thing here, and I'll move on. He says, and the Lord is among them. In Romans chapter 1, it says something very similar. Listen to this in Romans chapter 1. Speaking along these same lines. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and all creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of the hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women and all these types of things. Listen to this. Though they knew God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You understand the connection there? Korah and his band are lo- is looking at Moses and he says, who are you to set yourself above us? When it was Moses not setting himself above, it was the word of the Lord he was just speaking it. They said, you've gone too far in telling us that there is only one way. They said, don't you understand that everyone is holy? None of them are doing anything wrong because there is no wrong. And also they said, and the Lord is among them. They didn't just say they're not doing anything wrong. They said, God is glad that they're doing what they are doing. God is happy with them. The Lord is among them. He's with them, and he is for them. How many that carry the banner of relativism and do whatever you want, fulfill the desires of the lush, uh, of your flesh and lust of your flesh, that they not only do those things, but they say, you need to stop telling people that they need to stop doing this because God's perfectly happy with their sin. And we get to talking about huge issues like uh, homosexuality, the big ones in the, in the media right now, and all these things. And, and we're not saying that once you do these things that you're cut off. No, we're saying that you need to repent of these things. And that in the repentance towards Jesus Christ, there is hope of redemption. There is hope of regeneration. There is hope of the washing of the water with the word. We set the standard. We preach the gospel. We preach the law of God. We preach sin. We do preach hell because hell is hot and eternity is a long time. But we preach hope. Yes, you've broken the law, but there was one who came to set you right with the Lord, even though you've broken the law. Get to that part of the story. So it's so good. All right, we continue on. You see, they were saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. But it was the man of God uh, speaking the word of God, not on his own authority, but on the authority of God himself. 
We continue on. We see that Korah and his followers, they refused to submit to God's word rather than follow their hearts. We see them time and time again, push back, push back, push back. And then we see that Moses is saying that this is not my word. This is the word of God. And we see they made false uh, accusations to him in saying, in all kind of verses here, I'll pick one out here in verse 13. It says, it is a small thing. This is Dathan responding back to Moses. He said, is it a small thing that you have brought us out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you must also make yourself a prince over us? See, he looks at Moses, who's proclaiming as an ambassador of Christ. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Moses is an ambassador of Christ. He's speaking on Christ, I mean, God's behalf, Christ's behalf too, but God's behalf here in the text. He is speaking the word of the Lord. We know that because it says, the Lord said to Moses, and Moses repeated it. You see, he's not making himself out to be the prince. We could go back into Exodus 4, 10 through 16, where God called Moses specifically and empowered him there. It wasn't Moses' word. It was God's word. And they were, they were accusing Moses of setting himself up. But God would do what? He would vindicate him. You see, they felt judged by Moses. They felt judged by Moses. But did Moses stop in his proclamation of the truth because they felt judged? Did he? How many of you, now here is an encouragement and here is a spur to you to get your tail out there and open up your mouth and let the word of God come out. Because I know many of you. I know you. I've talked to you. I've had conversations with you. And you say this. Well, I just don't want anybody to think I'm judging them. I just don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Who am I? To tell them that what they're doing is wrong. You're a carrier of the truth is what you are. You proclaim the word of God is what you do. You open up the Bible is what you do. You don't speak on your own behalf. Just like Moses. Even Jesus said what? I did not come to do my own will but the will of the one who sent me. No, you don't presumptuously say, you need to do as I do. No. You need to go in love, sharing the word of God, and you need to say, look, this is what I've seen. This is what I'm seeing, and we need to work on this. Let's pray. Let's talk. Let's get into this Bible and see where we both need to change. You see, you are not the one judging them. Don't ever say upon up now, if you're judgmental, you know, if you're kind of a judgmental prick, you know, don't, okay, maybe you are judging them, okay, I don't know, maybe you need to repent of that. But if you are in love with the right motives going and you've, took, you've taken the log out of your own eye so that you can then see to get the speck out of your brother's eye, don't not go because you think, well, I don't want to judge. I don't want to judge. I don't want to push my, no, don't do that because you're not the one that's judging. If they feel judged, it's not because you're the one judging them, not if you're going in love with the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and we just quoted this kind of, but I want to read it to you because it says very clearly that we are not the one who judges, but it's the word of God. Listen here. Uh, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and listen to this, and discerning or judging, same word, and discerning or judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. 
You see, the reason that they feel judged, if you come rightly, the reason that they feel judged is that the word of the Lord is what is piercing through. The word of the Lord is convicting them. The word of the Lord is saying, this is not right. And they're saying, oh, and they're attacking the spokesman instead of dealing with the king. They're, de- they're attacking the spokesman instead of dealing with the king. Korah didn't want to deal with, with the Lord. Neither did Dathan or Abiram. They wanted to just accuse him and say, no, 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 no. But I want to tell you this. You need to be as Moses and you need to go in love, seeking peace with gentleness and respect. And you need to share the gospel with them. Develop a relationship. Develop, uh, 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 develop a, a pedestal or a, a, a position uh, that you can lovingly share the gospel and call them to repentance. You must. You must. If you want, who will? And patting them on the back and telling them it'll all turn out okay in the end is a dadgum lie. It is. And if you don't want to hurt their feelings and you don't go, then you save them a little bit of toil here to give them a whole lot of wrath there. It doesn't make sense, guys. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Sometimes we wound in order to heal. The word of the Lord in, in Hebrews chapter 12 is like a scalpel. What does a scalpel do? It wounds to heal. We've got to take the word of the Lord. Now, the last thing I want to show you is is that the Lord did vindicate Moses. He did. The Lord uh, opened up the ground and he swallowed them all up. Basically, Moses is like, show up here in the morning. You know, he's like, I'm your huckleberry. (laughs) You know, show up here in the morning. We'll see. We'll see who's God's man. Be here. Sun up. Showdown, baby. Be here. They showed up. What happened? Moses was vindicated, a great sign. The earth split in two, swallowed up Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and their whole families, all their goods, everything, just bam, into the ground. And we see a momentary repentance of the people of Israel. They ran, gone, separate. God sent down and said, get away from them. I'm about to kill every one of them. And they're like, okay. <laughs> you didn't notice that part? They're like, no, don't kill them. They're like, okay. Ground opens up, swallows them up. But I want to show you something. This blew me away when I saw it. Starting in verse 41. Check this out. So sometimes we feel our guilt, right? Sometimes we, we, we hear a word from the Lord and we're like, oh, man, I stink. And we'll have a momentary repentance. We'll do good for a little while, right? We'll will it. We'll grit our teeth and we'll say, doggone it. I'm going to read my Bible and I'm on, I'm on, I'm on. Listen to this. After the ground opens up and swallows the whole camps, everything in it. Listen to this. But the next day. (laughs) Y'all know what's coming, don't you? But the next day. Now, I want you to just think. If we were here in Landrum, South Carolina, right? And we were here like uh, uh, Brother Charles stood up and said, Brandon, you're a liar. Who do you think you are? And I'm like. Let's let the Lord settle this. And all of a sudden, it just said, 
swallowed Charles up, closed back up, and we just kept on going. Now, the next, like 10 minutes later, somebody else would stand up and say, you're a liar. <laughs> would you do that? No, why? Because the ground just ate Charles. <laughs> Nobody's that dumb, except for Israel. <laughs> but the next day, not that you would really do that, Charles. I know you love Jesus and you love me, right, brother? But on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. He said the exact same thing that Korah did. He said, You make yourself out to be. You've killed the people. Moses had to be like, Oh, when are you going to understand? I didn't do it. I can't make the ground open. You know, I can really try, but I can't make the ground open and swallow three whole families. And it does say, and when the congregation has assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. I love it. Because Moses didn't even call on the Lord this time. The next day, the people said, you killed them. You're wrong. You're this. And they turn around and the Lord's like this. Right? You're going to talk against my man again? You're going to speak against my word again? And listen to what he says. <laughs> this is so good. And my, it says, behold, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. And it really is like they said it. Moses is like, he's got to be like, and then they turn around, the people turn around, and they see the glory of the Lord like, you know, like this. And this is what it says. Now listen, this is, what, this is what it says. And Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, he told Moses. He spoke to Moses saying, he said, and he spoke, Lord spoke to Moses saying, get away from the midst of this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. Oh, there's so much here. There's so much here. I just don't have time. So he says the same thing almost he said to Korah. He the congregation. He said, get away from Korah and the band of rebels. I'm going to kill them all. So they're like, okay, Lord. You know, and hit the, hit the road. Bam, they're gone. But in this instance, they come and they speak the very same word. And they look at Moses and Aaron. And they say, get away from them. I'm going to kill every one of them. Moses doesn't run. He hits his face. He hits his face. He starts to intercede for the people. Even though they were condemning him. Does that ring a bell? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, man, that's good. Listen. And Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from the midst of this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. And Moses said to Aaron, Now listen to this. This is great. And Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put... Now this was the atoning sacrifice, the censer and the incense, offering up the prayers of the Lord, paying for the sin of the Lord. He said... Take your incense, your censer, and put fire on it from off the altar. Where is the sacrifice made? The altar. And lay incense on it and carry it quickly into the congregation and make atonement for them. They sinned against. Take the censer, put fire on it from the altar. Hurry, go quickly, and make atonement for them. Check this out. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. The wrath of God is sits on America. 
The wrath of God has already against those that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not moving toward hell. You are under the wrath of God. And hell is not a comma. It's a period. It's not a wonder. It's a definite. You will bust hell wide open if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in John 3, we always like to talk about 16, but right after that it says, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but you stand condemned because of your own unbelief. We condemn ourselves. We sit under the wrath of God. And it says here, the wrath of God had begun. What's the way out? What's the message that we preach? Oh, listen to this. Put it in quickly to the congregation. Put the, put the atonement, the incense uh, from the altar and, and carry it quickly into the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. It's already begun. The plague has begun. Listen, so Aaron took it as Moses said and he ran into the midst of the, of the assembly and behold, the plague had already become, uh, begun among the people and he put on the incense and made atonement for the people and he stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stopped. If I don't light your fire, your wood is wet. You get the picture? You get the picture? Word of the Lord came down. Moses delivered the word of the Lord. Korah said, who do you think you are setting yourself up as king over us? You have no right. None of us are doing anything wrong. We're all holy. And the Lord approves of everything that we're doing. Moses said, is that, is that, all, is that true? Is that so? Then you be here in the morning and we'll see what happens. The Lord was not pleased. And they were outside of the word of God, not Moses. And so the Lord swallowed them up in judgment and vindication of God's man and God's word. The very next day, the Israelites raise up and do the same thing again. And the Lord says, get away from them. I'm going to kill them all. And the mediator between God and man at that time, Moses, fell on his face and cried out to the Lord. He sent the high priest with the atonement running into the crowd, screaming, the Lord is making atonement. The Lord is making atonement. And this is what happened. The wrath of God was coming, and it was met with the atonement, and it stopped. To go no further. You know how many died that day? 14,700 people, not counting Abiram, Dathan, and Korah's families. message of the gospel if you can't hear the gospel in that you can't ever hear it anywhere ever go to the new testament i want to give you a couple of windows to see this beautiful and magnificent gospel romans chapter 3 verse Let's start in verse 21. We're going to look at verse 25. When you see the word propitiation, it can also be uh, translated as the word atonement, which means a payment for sin, the paying of a debt, or the turning of the wrath, the, the accepting of the wrath of God in payment for sin. 
Verse 21 in Romans chapter 3 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law of the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as an atonement by his blood to be Received by faith. That good? That's good. That's the word of God. I'm not even preaching anymore. It's just the word of God. Turn to 1 John chapter 2, or you don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. 1 John 2, 2. Now, this is the ESV. Remember propitiation. The ESV translates as propitiation, but it's atonement. Same idea. The payment of sin. Listen to what it says in uh, 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the atonement for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Who among you has sin in his life? Don't you know the wrath of God abides on you and it is guaranteed? The only thing to stop the wrath of God that will pay for your sin is the atonement of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, I, like Aaron, running among you, and I make the atonement. I look, and I lift up the atonement, and I say, it's Christ. It's Christ. Christ is the atonement for sin. Hoping, hoping that I cut death off before it gets to you. Jude says, uh, priest of God's reaching, snatching others out of the flame. Not good works. As the band comes up and as I finish up here, two other things I want to say. I want you to know that I, I know that I see some new faces in here. I see some new visitors. You may have never heard anybody preach a message like this. You may have never heard anybody yell like that, and I'm, I apologize for that maybe. But here's, here's, the end, here's the end message. Here's the end thing. I know that you know you're a sinner. <clears throat> I know that. You may suppress that truth and unrighteousness, but I know that you know you're a sinner. <laughs> I know that you know there is nothing that you can do to make up for that sin because there's not a person in here with a time machine. If we've broken one part of the law, we've broken the law as a whole, and therefore we deserve death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Death is coming for you. Not just physically, but also eternally. And the only thing that can stop that wrath, that can stop that death, and set you on the path of righteousness is the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross that was sealed with a promise by the Holy Spirit at the resurrection of Christ and upon salvation. You cannot escape the wrath of God apart from the atoning death of Jesus Christ. You cannot do it. You see, in, in Numbers chapter 16, we see that a demonstration of power couldn't get them into the kingdom. It couldn't help them escape the wrath of God, maybe for a little while. Fear of judgment couldn't do it. Signs and wonders couldn't do it. They were demonstrating God's power, but it wasn't enough. Ethnicity wasn't enough. You understand that Korah was of the tribe of Levi. They were heirs of God. They didn't even get any land because they got God himself. 
Ethnicity won't do it. Your family won't do it. Being in a subculture in America of the Bible Belt, everybody believes in Jesus, will not do it. You must have Christ yourself. The atonement must be applied to you. You see, we believe in penal substitutionary atonement, meaning that he paid the price for your debt, not just our debt. Don't you understand that you must accept Christ? Don't you understand that you must be covered in the blood? Don't you understand that he must be your Lord and Savior, not with some blabbing and grab it? I got no time for that. I don't have time for halfway Christians because they don't exist. Today, this day, do not harden your hearts as in times past. Today is the day of salvation. Is he your God? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Does the blood of Christ cover you? Examine yourself to see whether or not you be in the faith. What's your priorities? Do you submit yourself to the word of God? Or are you like Korah raising up and saying, I want to do what I want to do? He said, are you telling me obedience is the key to gaining access to Christ and to heaven? No, but I'll tell you this. It's the evidence by which we know we have gained access. First John says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one that says that he knows him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. I don't say this to hurt your feelings. I say this in pleading with you. Without Christ, you're dead. Without Jesus, you're dead. Without the atonement, the wrath of God rests upon you. And I don't want you to die and go to hell. I don't want you to experience death here on earth. Do you want your reward to be here? You see, for the Christian, this is a momentary land in which we are strangers waiting, waiting. And we can start living out the kingdom right here on earth. What do you think the fulfillment of the Lord's prayer is? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, it's done through you. You are ambassadors of Christ. You, you are the ones that run into the crowd screaming, Christ! You remember Romans chapter 10? How beautiful are the feet of those who carry the gospel. Are you running into the crowd screaming, Christ! Ephesians chapter 6, the whole armor of God. What's on the feet, Portia? What's on the feet? Shod with the good news of Jesus Christ. Put your running shoes on, people of God. Right, Randy? Yeah, you can run in them cowboy boots. Hey, is them some gospel boots? Hey, I love you. It's not my word. Y'all stood up for like half an hour while I was reading the Bible. I'm just a man. I really am. Like, I have my own flaws. Faults and flaws. My wife will attest to that. But I'm covered in the blood. Are you covered in the blood? Not some prayer sometime. Are you being conformed to the image of the Son? Have you been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Do you sing his praise for Revelation chapter 5, verse 11 says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Is he the king of your heart? Is he the king of your heart? Oh, isn't he good? 
I feel good. Like, that's what, maybe it's just the music. Something's like, <laughs> But in it, God's word is so good. How many of you feel hopeful today? You see, we all have, we have sinned. But the atoning work of Christ stops wrath in its tracks. Pow! The Bible says, we can all stand to our feet. This is the last thing. I can just keep, keep going, but I won't. The Bible says this. I really like it. It says, you, you read in Romans chapter 3 where it says, if anyone sins, no, that's in 1 John 2. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. You see, as, as, as Moses, uh, they came against Moses and they brought the word of the Lord. And the Lord says, get away from him and kill him. Moses falls in his face. You see, Jesus Christ is the greater Moses. He makes intercession. And Jesus Christ is also of the greater high priest. He's the greater Aaron. And we could go, I had it in here that we were going to read Hebrews 10, 8 through 14, but, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to do this. If anyone sins, he has an advocate before the Father. You see, what the Bible says is that Jesus Christ was put forth as the propitiation of sin or the atoning sacrifice for sin, which means that you owed a debt. Actually, you know, you, 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 you owed a debt. You know what I'm saying? You ever, you ever owed a debt before? You owe some right now? No, y'all got it like that? Rented and paid it off? No, you see, when you owe a debt, you have to come good on that debt. When you owe a debt, you have to come good on that debt. And the wages of sin is death. You owe it. And atonement, propitiation, means that your debt has been paid. Somebody paid that debt, so now you don't have to pay it. And so if any of us sins, we have an advocate. We have someone who stands in for us. We have someone who speaks on our behalf, who made atonement for our sins. And the Bible says, any man that doesn't acknowledge me before men, I will not acknowledge him before my father. But anyone who would acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge him before my father. So it will literally go this way. When you die, you will stand before God and you will answer for what you have done. And there will be, there will be a payment for that sin. But through Christ and the great exchange, either you will pay for your sin or Christ will basically move in front of you and say, I paid for this one. The wrath of God is poured out on those who are unbelievers. They will pay for their own sin. But for those of you who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he paid for your sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As we do this last worship song, I want to invite you to come. If any of you have not ever given your life to Christ, if you're not covered in the blood of the Lamb, and I don't care what prayer you prayed 10 years ago, I don't care. I really don't care at all. Do you live this day for the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Is he your God and Savior? Is he the Lord of your life? Are you covered in the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you love him? Do you live for him? Do you walk in him? Talk to him? Pray to him? Sit with him? Love him? Do you love him? I want to invite you. I'll be here. Maybe there's some of you who have just strayed away from your first love. It happens. Maybe there are some of you who have loved ones who, you know the wrath of God sits on them. Maybe you just want to pray. Pray where you are. Pray up here. Pray with me. Let's just do what God is calling us to do. You've heard the word of God today. I read half the book. Respond accordingly. Respond accordingly.
the Bible is so good because the Word was made flesh. Respond accordingly. Jesus is King.